0: Good morning, man. Welcome to the Everyman Livestream. Appreciate you being part of the Everyman Movement and spending some time with us this morning. Pastor Kenny, um, due to a last-minute scheduling change, um, had me step in this morning, and he'll be back for part six of the High Seas. So come back next week so we can hear a great closeout to this great series that we've been a part of. And like I said, he asked for me to stand in for him and interestingly enough, um, it was due to a, a last-minute scheduling conflict for him. And so I didn't have a ton of time to prepare this morning. And so Kenny threw this at me. He says, you know, just talk about what is on your heart. And uh, it was like he knew that I had something in my heart. Um, and and I did too. And I certainly didn't know I'd get to process it here with you this morning. You know, there is this sense of so many challenges that we are facing in our lives. And, and especially, I look at what's happening locally here with us in, in Orange County, and you just look at the last seven days, just to name two specific incidents that have had a profound impact on our communities. As we had a fire last week, that it burned down a, a bunch of homes that, that we sat watching as the helicopters were flying over and we see these homes just getting destroyed. And then this last Sunday, a gunman entered a church and shot people and killed an individual. Um, and these are so close to home, it's it's like they're not happening to me, or perhaps they're not happening to somebody that I necessarily know, but just one more degree of separation, there's people that are close to me that are impacted, close to us that are impacted. And there's this, there's a this stress that's overwhelming us right now due to the, the challenges that we're facing in our life. And, and there's an awareness that I have of the people that are around me and how it's, how it's manifesting in their lives. For, for me to be a, a, a police officer and a pastor, I, I can expect with some degree of regularity that people come to me and they say, so Jason, what do you think about this or, or what does this mean to you or how do you think we should respond to this? And I don't necessarily get a sense that those questions are being asked because I believe people are overwhelmed by the situation. That it's happening so close. And, and wherever you live, you are dealing with similar adversity in your lives. And maybe it's not adversity, it's playing it out itself on the news. It's going on within your home. But we have these challenges that are that are pushing up against us, asking, causing us to ask the question: What do I do about this? The title of today's message is, is What Do I Do Now? And today is just some encouragement to you. To answer that question for you. And yes, I'm going to teach and, and there's going to be slides that show up, but I really hope that this comes off as a conversation between me and somebody else where you're coming up to me and you're just asking me, Jason, what, what do I do now? And, and that's really where this is coming from. That's what is my heart is wanting to share this morning. The first passage that we're going to reference is in John 13, 14 to 17, just like when Pastor Kenny said, teach what's what's on your heart and what's current is, is whenever I think in terms of that, I, I kind of go to a, a recent passage that popped off the page to me. And I'm assuming that God spoke to me in that moment because he wants me to reference that in this moment. And this is from, from John chapter 13 and hopefully you've uploaded the notes from the website or uh, the Facebook page and it's a great opportunity for you to just document some of the things that you're processing and thinking now and making some notes and and like I typically like to do is fold that up in my Bible stick it in there for a date later to be determined whenever I need those words but this conversation between Jesus and the disciples in John 13 starting at verse 14. Um, if you've listened to me, teach enough times, you know that I love about the context of the passage. Who's saying it? Who's he saying it to? where is where are they at when he's saying it? What just happened? What is about to happen? It just adds some layers of dimension. This conversation we've we've heard many times, the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. We've heard it presented in a variety of ways. We've heard that Jesus stepped into the place of a humble servant, much like when you'd have a party at your house, there would be a humble servant. His job was to wash feet. Jesus slid into that position of that humble servant, and then he washed their feet. We've, we've heard that story so many times, the line that I want To to pop off this verse to you is when Jesus says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed to do them. So, with regards to context, so they're in the upper room, they're getting ready to experience the Last Supper. Jesus is going to acknowledge who his betrayer is, he's going to tell Peter that he's going to deny him three times, and then Jesus is eventually going to land in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's arrested. He's tried, he's convicted, and he's crucified. Jesus is sharing with them because he's preparing the disciples for the challenging things that they're about to go to. And he says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed that if you do them. Further on in the New Testament, Jesus' brother James writes in verse 1, of verse 25 of chapter 1, he says, but whoever looks into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. There's a variety of references how the 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 perfect law is is processed. James says, whoever looks at it, whoever continues into it, whoever is not forgetting it, not forgetting what they've heard. He says, but the doing, they will be blessed in what they do. Today, it's about doing. The question that I am answering when I say, what do I do now? What should you do now? You should be doing. You should be doing, right? We love to talk about, like Jesus says, now that you you know these things, we love to talk about these things. We love to read about these things. We put together small groups about these things. We memorize stuff about these things. I'm standing here right now teaching about these things. I love studying these things. One of my favorite things is to read the Bible and go to commentary. And I got so many hard copies of commentaries. I got to build a a house out of the the books I have on the Bible. Those are all amazing things that provide blessings. Jesus is saying that we are to do these things. And that's what today is about, is the stuff that we should be doing. We shouldn't just be thinking about it and, and studying it, and memorizing that we should be doing. On your handouts, if you have them, your fill-in, the first fill-in is, is we are designed to be doers. We were designed to be doing. And like I said, that there's people right now that are carrying things around the, inside of them that are, that are providing stress and, and making them anxious and stealing peace. And they, and they don't know what to do with it. So they think that, that maybe if I don't do anything about it, it won't do anything to me. But we're carrying around and we're doing nothing about it, but it's, but it's doing something to us. It's doing something to us. And I can, I can feel it in myself as I'm close to the challenges that people are dealing with. And I could, I could see it in them, that it's doing something to them. And, and today is about what do we do about that? Now that information that's inside of us, that, that, those, that stress that's inside of us, it's gotta come out. It's gotta come out in one way or another because it's almost like I said, people think, well, if I don't talk about it, I won't have to think about it, I won't process it. But it is doing something in us and we've got to do something about it. And your first fill in here says, talk about it with God. Talk about it with God. And some of this stuff is not so easily identified. It's some of the challenges that we face, we can't necessarily put a finger on it. We can't describe it exactly. And we are encouraged to go to God even when we don't even know exactly what it is. We we, we feel the pain. We feel the stress in our life. We feel the anxiousness. We we don't even know exactly what that is, but we're still encouraged to go to God even when we don't know what that is. Romans 8.26 says, It says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. With groanings, the Holy Spirit prays for us in ways that that we can't express in words. Eugene Peterson, the the author of the, the message version of the Bible, interprets those groanings as our groanings the holy spirit interprets our groanings we're not even saying words and in even in the message version he says that that it's from our wordless sighs and our aching groans that the holy spirit interprets that uh, i was i was talking to somebody last week and they were they were under huge stress and and they knew that they needed to pray they didn't know what the, they needed to pray for they said it's like i i can just sit here and just 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 growl or, or scream i said do it do it get that out of you, the Holy Spirit's gonna interpret that for you. You're gonna have a conversation with, with God through those, those wordless sighs and those groans, but we have to go to God and we have to go boldly before the throne of grace, even when we don't know why we're going. We need to go and we need, we need to talk about it with God. We need to process it here with God so it doesn't get processed here by way of our stress. Another way of, of dealing with the challenges and the adversity in our lives, and in addition to processing it and talking about it with God, is, is when we make the observation of other people in our lives that are dealing with challenges. And, and we see the challenges that they, they were faced with, with whatever, whatever type of adversity that, like I said, maybe is not playing itself out on the news, but it's absolutely happening in their life. And that's entering in that space along with them in that challenge. And your next fill in here is to see people in pain and enter into it see people in pain and enter into it and by enter entering into somebody else's pain that's getting close to them that's getting close even in just proximity that's one of the challenges that we face when we see somebody that's dealing with adversity and we struggle to get close to them because we know that that that, that blast pressure is going to reverberate off of us as well and we're going to feel that but But when we feel some of that blast pressure, we take away some of that from them. And we we need to enter into their pain. We need to enter in the challenge of, of their life. And we need to take some of that from them. Because just like Jesus said, this is what we were designed to do. And when we enter into a place and we bless somebody, remember what James and John said, you will be blessed to do them. You will be blessed to do them. So, we see people in pain and enter into it. Matthew nine thirty-five to 38 says, "'Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news. He healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he took a look out over the crowd, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. "'What a huge harvest,' he said to his disciples. Help you workers on your knees and pray for the harvest hands. Jesus gets there and he sees people in need. What's interesting is Jesus knows he's about to fulfill a need, but he can't help but experience the pain that they are feeling. When, when Jesus found out that, that Lazarus had passed away, he knew what his plan was. He knew how the story was going to end, but that passage, Jesus wept, he wept on on behalf of the observation that he made of the people that were close to him. He was feeling that that sadness, and he says his heart broke, and so he got ready to enter into that space, but Jesus takes a little bit of a different spin on this because he's standing there with his disciples, and if his heart broke, their heart broke too, but what did Jesus see? Jesus saw an opportunity. And he looks out over to his disciples and he says to them, what a huge harvest. What a great opportunity we have. Yes, there's sadness, there's hurt. What a great opportunity that we have to enter into that space. And when we enter into that space, we have the opportunity to bring the love of Jesus into somebody's life. We have the opportunity to evangelize to a non-believer and edify the believer. You introduce somebody to Jesus who's never met him before, or reintroduce somebody that that needs to meet him again. But that's what that, that opportunity that has for us was these challenges that enter in, in our lives. This adversity that enters into our lives, it's coming from a place. It's coming from a place. And it's so important that we as believers in the world that we live in, begin to acknowledge what the source of, of that is. And to acknowledge that that, there is evil in this world that's your next fill in it says acknowledge that there is evil there is evil ephesians 6:12 says for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly place there is evil in this world, and that's what Paul is saying. This is not stuff that we can see and that we can touch that is something that is familiar to us. It's something far different from that. It's powerful. It's more powerful than that. And the devil doesn't want us to see it that way. The devil doesn't want us to to think that that these circumstances are, are the result. Of evil. He wants to see it's just a you know a kind of a, a natural disaster, if you will, some some unforeseen circumstances, an unintended consequence of something. But there is an evil, and, and that evil is the result of our adversary, and that adversary is the devil. And he doesn't he does not want you to believe that he's real. Because when we start to identify who the adversary is, that's when our training and our tactics start to kick in because we know where to direct our energy to. We know that we have an adversary and the devil doesn't want us to believe that. Well, one of my favorite movies, it was made many years ago, is called The Usual Suspects. And I love it so much, I'll refer to it every opportunity that I have. The movie is essentially about, um, the, there's, a, there's a evil organized crime drug lord that's caused you know, all kinds of, of tragedy, but nobody's ever really seen him, and he's being hunted down in this movie, and nobody's ever seen him, so their thought is maybe he isn't really real. Kevin Spacey in the movie plays the character Verbal Kent, and if you've seen the movie, I'm not gonna give up any, any information about it, but Kevin Spacey, Verbal Kent in this movie, says that um, this, this person that they're looking for, his name is Kaiser Soze, he Says says he's, he's like the devil, And he says the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. He exists. And yeah, it's scary to think in terms of that way. It's scary to to be worried and afraid of something that that we really don't understand. But there there is evil that is around us. There is evil that is around us. And we serve the creator, the, the creator of that, right? The creator of everything. And we serve a creator that has a plan in our life, a plan to be victorious, over the enemy, and that should bring us confidence. We were not designed to sit back and do nothing against evil. The writer of Hebrews says that that we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, right? We face that that evil head on. We acknowledge that it's real, but we have a plan to respond to it. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a, a German theologian, and he said this quote many years ago. He says, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak and not to act is not to, is to act. So we have to acknowledge there is evil. And, and since we acknowledge that there is evil, we, we can expect that. Your next fill in here says, we should expect adversity. We should expect adversity in our lives. 1 Peter 5, eight to nine says, keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only one who plunges into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on faith. The suffering won't last forever. So when, when we expect and, and that there's evil, when we expect that there is adversity, we're less surprised when it gets here. If we, we know that there's evil in this world and we know that the evil is going to come knocking on our door someday, we're going to have a plan in place for when that evil comes knocking on our door. It's going to be less of a surprise when that happens. So suppose I told you, I said, um, when you're at home tonight and when you're sleeping at one o'clock in the morning, there's going to be somebody that's going to come breaking in your house. Well, you'd, you'd put together a plan of what that might look like. You would put together a plan of how you're going to respond to that. And when that happened, especially with as specific as I got, you, you were not going to be surprised. So you said, well, that's, that's different. I'm not really going to know when that's going to happen. But if you acknowledge the fact that it can happen, that it might happen someday, whether it's tonight at one o'clock in the morning, you'll begin to plan for it. You'll have, you'll have a plan in place for when that happens. And when it does happen, you are going to be less surprised. And when we plan and we prepare for something, when it happens, we, our, our feet are more firmly planted when it does happen. And we can have confidence in that moment when we do. But, but when we don't expect, we don't plan. And we, we need to expect. And the result of that is we have a plan so that we can acknowledge the evil and we can expect that we will face adversity. Something else that we should be doing We should be doing is we should put on our armor. You should be putting on your armor. You should be putting on your gear, the gear that's been provided to us as a result of this relationship with Jesus. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12 says, God is strong and he wants you to be strong so that everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no weekend war that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. We need to put on our equipment. We need to put on our equipment every single day. That that full armor of God you know, the, the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the belt of truth, our feet fitted with the gospel, the, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit and the prayers that we have. That is something that we need to be putting on and putting on every single day. A soldier, which is what Paul is describing here, he didn't just get his gear one time and put his gear on one time. He, he did that every single day. He did that every single day. And by doing that, in, in in this passage, there says put them to good use. That's that's maintaining them. That's training with them, and and that provides a confidence in us. I am always intrigued in, in when I see a police officer, and and I will kind of pay attention to when I see a police officer when I'm out, especially when I'm just off duty. And I, and I look at to see that how his boots are shined. And when I see a police officer, his, his boots are shined and they're well-maintained. And his, and his uniform is cleanly pressed and, and the leather gear that he has around his belt is shined. And, and I pay particular close attention to maybe to the weapons that he, that he has on his belt. And, and I can see that the weapon he has been, has been customized just a little bit whether it's the, the grip that's on it or whether it's the sight that's on it and, and his uniform is, is pressed all the way up and he has his gold pins that matches his, his badge that has been recently polished and everything about him expresses confidence because his gear is ready. The same thing is true for us. That is something that should be happening on a daily basis we should be waking up every day. You know, the scripture says that God's mercies are new every day. And that's, that's amazing. And thank God for that. But we still have responsibilities. We still have responsibilities to be geared up. I'm convinced there's far too many of us that are walking around and we're not geared up. We're not geared up. We have it. We have it. We know, we know where it's at. We know the closets that it's in. Um, there's other things in there. It's kind of crammed to the back. Um, And how sad that we would assume that when we need that, we're going to be able to go get it and it's going to be ready for us when we need it. But that armor, that gear that we should be putting on, we should be putting that on on a a daily basis. As we wake up and we say, this is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Our rejoicing is us putting on that gear and being prepared so that we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We got to put that armor on. Next, something that we should be doing is we should be serving others. We should be serving others. First Peter 4, 10 to 11, it says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others <clears throat> as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever, amen. You know, Peter doesn't say that um, some of you should serve. You know, service is not one of the gifts of the spirit. Um, service is for all of us, and we've all been gifted in one way or another, and and we should be serving somebody. All of us should be serving in some type of capacity. We can be serving. At, your church has a service opportunity for you somewhere that you should be doing. And some people say, "Well, that's that's not where I'm gifted." We're all, we're all should be serving in one way or another, whether it's whether it's helping. You know, people in the parking lot are waving to them as they walk up or handing them a donut or getting them a coffee or handing them a program as they're going into service. You're building a house and taking it down to Mexico. You serve with the kids in whatever way you should be serving. You should be using the gifts that you have to serve one another. Go back to the passage that we started with, the John 13 passage and the James passage. Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed to do them. James said the same thing, that it's in the doing, you will be blessed when you do. That Neither James nor Jesus says other people will be blessed when you serve them. Now, he didn't have to say that because we would know that to be true, but we get blessed when we serve. We get blessed when we serve, when we go and we serve other people. We get to experience that when we do it, when we step into somebody's life um, and, and we serve them. We get to be blessed. It reminds me of a story of a a friend of mine who's been friends of mine for about 10 years. And when he became a believer, he came out of just massive adversity in his life of of all kinds of shapes and sizes. Um, And during that time, if you went to church, he was there. It didn't matter if it was Sunday, Tuesday night, Friday morning, he was there. He was doing something. He was serving in some sort of capacity. He was cutting grass. He was changing light bulbs. He was was doing something at the church. And he shared with me that he was so new to his faith and he was dealing with so many challenges of his lives that he felt so safe while he was serving. He said he knew if I was doing something at the church, if I was doing something to help people at the church, I was protected. And I wasn't worried about the challenges that I was facing in my life because I could feel God's love while I was doing something. There's blessings for us in service. Now that is of course not our intention. When we see somebody in pain, we enter into it. It is all about them. It's all about us being willing to be inconvenienced in a moment so we could provide love and support encouragement to somebody else. But something amazing happens when we do these things that we get to be blessed. And while we're experiencing the challenges that are around us and while other people are are doing that, that's one of the things that we should be doing. We should be serving others. So those are some things that we should be doing. And there's many more. This is certainly not an exhaustive list, but just some, some great recommendations to you of things that we should be doing with regards to what we do. There's things that we know. In the last couple of fill-ins as we're kind of going into our conclusions, what do I know? The first thing that I know that it is part of God's plan. The challenges, the adversity that we have in our lives, that that it is part of God's plan. In in some cases. Um, these are not just people like Jesus looked out and he saw people that were hungry and they didn't have a shepherd. There's tremendous adversity in our lives, but it is all part of the plan. There, there's, a, there's a potter that's forming, that's smashing down the clay in our lives, and it's part of his plan. Jeremiah 18, 1-4 says, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So I did as he had told me and found the potter working at his wheel, but the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. This picture of the potter and the clay, it stresses two things, the authority of God, right? Jesus is, is, is the potter and we are the clay. There's, so there's the authority of the Potter, and there's submission on our part, but as a result of God's authority in our submission, this is amazing as mercy and patience in God. The Scripture says, "But the jar didn't did, that he was making didn't turn out as he had hoped, so what does he do? He, he reshapes it. Now that reshaping that creates." Inconvenience, it creates discomfort to us. That's that. That's that refining fire, eliminating the the impurities, and that and that's what that He is doing. But these things that we go to, it shapes us. It shapes us into the person that we're designed to be. It shapes us into into the the person that we're designed to be. And these challenges, this reshaping, this refining fire, it's part of God's plan. There's a purpose towards what is happening in our life. The purpose is to, to make us stronger, to make us stronger. James 1, to 4-6 says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind there's this there's this comparison to the confidence that we have when our feet are firmly planted in the situation regardless of the circumstances in our lives we have confidence that this is part of God's plan our feet can be firmly planted and the opposite of that is like what he says is is we're just we're just like a wave that's blown and tossed around on the sea when James says, let the perseverance finish its good work. The perseverance, that's the challenge that is happening. But when we can acknowledge that challenge is as, as the pottery shaping reshaping that clay, we understand what happens later on as we when we allow that perseverance to finish. And on the other end of that is, is peace. On the other end of that is hope. Paul in Romans 5 says, tribulation, we're thankful for those because tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and what does character produce? It produces hope. That on the other side of that challenge, that perseverance is character and it's hope. And that is what James is saying is let perseverance finish because we know that that challenge we're in is part of God's plan. And then next, what do I know amidst the challenges I can declare, victory. I can declare victory. Revelations 21, 6-7, he says, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Revelations 21 is John, and he is seeing the new heaven. He's seeing the conclusion of this story. And he writes, it is done. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. And that is, that is the victory that we can experience. We can see that with our faith, right? With our faith that is assurance that comes to us by, by reading God's word, but we can be reminded that the story is, it, we know how the story ends. It, it's like we're in the middle of a game, a football game, Right, and we're feeling like we're losing. We, even when you look at the scoreboard, and it's apparent that we're losing, but we know how the story ends. We, we know that the game ends with us being triumphant. And when we know how the game ends, in the middle of the game, we can, can be confident. We can endure through the challenges that we face because we have that living hope that's on the other side of that challenge. One of the things that we're reminding ourselves on a regular basis and in the series on high seas, that, that it's not the challenges of the moment that define us. It's the destiny that's, that's on the other end of that. And when we know that we can declare victory and we know that that's what our destiny is, we can continue to do what we need to do during these difficult times that we're facing. So our last fill-in here, answering the question about what's the big idea, the fill-in is this. This is who I am. This is who you are. When when Jesus is standing there with the disciples and they were seeing these people that are in need, he looks at them and he says, we have work to do. What a great opportunity for us. The harvest is, is plentiful. and Yes, the workers are few, but we will pray for more workers. He's saying to them, that is what defines you. That is what your identity is, that we're the workers. We were called to enter into this space in our own lives in the lives of others and live out our faith and do because we, we, we've come to know these things as Jesus described. James 1, 22 to 25 says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. <clears throat> do what it says Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This passage is the reminder of our identity. When I can understand my identity, I know who I am. When I know who I am, I know what to do. We are in a moment in our lives where, whether it's us, it's our family, it's our friend, or it's somebody there's just one or two degrees of, sep- degrees of separation from us, they are enduring challenges. And this is our opportunity. The harvest is plentiful. And it's our opportunity to do not just talk about it, but for us to do. I pray for you, I pray for you that if that's exactly who I was describing today, that you are in a place that you don't know what to do, you don't know what to pray to God, you don't know how to get yourself out of this situation and it's overwhelming you, it's suffocating you. I pray that you have learned today of some things that you can do. For those of us that have those people in our lives that are experiencing those challenges, we need to see that pain and we need to enter into it. This is, this is what we were called to do. We are the workers of the harvest. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the many lessons that you provide. We thank you for the lesson provided in the upper room, Lord. We thank you that when you shared, now that you know these things, I pray that we have so many of those red letters in our Bible that we can learn these things. But I pray that we don't just listen to your word because when we just listen, Lord, we are, we are deceived, we are called to live out our word, because that's who we are, that's our, that is our identity. I pray for those that are listening right now that are amidst challenge, that are feeling defeated. Lord, I pray that they can be able to understand that this is part of your plan, and they can declare victory, Lord, because they know how the story ends. And the story ends with us living forever in an everlasting life with our Lord and Savior, in heaven. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. Amen. Thanks again for being here.